This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. It's a great day to be together, and I'll give a big shout out to Emmanuel at home today on a Frozen Chosen Sunday. Come on. It may be Valentine's, but it's the Frozen Chosen Sunday. And we all need each other, and whether you're at home or you're in our locations here, I just want to say a big shout out to every one of you. Thank you for being together as a family. We start a brand new series today called Are We Okay? And it's based on this thought of, you ever been in a moment with a friend or a family member or a spouse or whatever, and you're like, they're not happy with me right now, or there's something wrong, and I don't know what I'm saying, we go, are we okay? And uh, there's just that moment where you're trying to figure out what it is, and we're going to unpack that related to relationships, how we can improve it, and what God's Word has to say about it. To kick it off this week, to start off, I want to start, I've got Pastor Phil, our lead youth pastor here at Emmanuel, and uh, Pastor Phil is uh, leading a generation of students that um, are going through all kinds of things during the pandemic and the way they connect and communicate. And uh, if you allow me, I want to pick your brain here on the platform for, for, with everyone, just on the dynamics of relationship and what's really going on. And uh, before we do that, though, I would just, something's going on this week. What is happening this week with all of our youth ministries? Man, we are excited that we still have the opportunity to have a winter camp experience uh, for our students, uh, 6th through 12th grade, all three campuses will be here uh, Friday night and then all day Saturday. And, uh, I mean, you know this because you're really the lead youth pastor still. And just, but even the stories that, um, that you've shared and, and those moments at the altar with students, right? We yeah. understand and we fight for those opportunities for yeah. students to have a real encounter with the real Jesus. And even shout out to Kingdom Builders. We've been able to scholarship just tons of students that otherwise would not be able to go. So just thank you, Emmanuel, thank you for, that. for helping create that moment for students as well. So that'll be yeah. this weekend. Wow, that's coming this week. Be praying, church. We need to pray for the next generation. And I think there is a mini revival going on in the next uh, generation. Maybe not so many. Maybe it's going to keep growing and believe for the best things. You know, one moment on a weekend like that you get more time than you do on a Wednesday night when students have time to worship and time to hear the word and time to hang, hang out. Um, something happens that can last a lifetime. So their life can move forward in a big, big, big way. So we'll be praying with you for that. Now, let's go into the, the, the digital domain, the, the next generation. And students in high school, middle school, young adults even, there are many of them are on your team that you walk with and talk with. What are you seeing going on in how they're interpreting um, relationships and some of the frustrations of the are we okay moments going on in the next gen? Yeah, I absolutely love this concept uh, for this series because I think we've all been there, whether it's a friendship um, or uh, a dating relationship, where it's like they, the one-off comment, the passive-aggressive moment, mm. and you ask the question, you're like, are we okay? <laughs> and, and they respond with, I don't know, are we? And you're like, oh, okay, we're not. <laughs> or they get the response, they're like, I thought we were, but now I'm not so sure. You're like, okay, I just, I just started something I wish I didn't. But there's also the, another layer to the question, and it's not just, are we okay? It's going, am I okay? Mm. And there's been so much, especially with the pandemic, that it's highlighted and just um, magnified, if you will, just some of the conditions of the heart, the soul, what's going on um, in our headspace when it's like, man, am I okay? 
am I okay with who I am? Because we're also seeing the effects of just where culture has really placed a higher value on what's your sexual identity over what's your identity in Christ. Mm. And we've seen that overflow with just the amount of hurt and just pain that students and the are. Z and millennials, we call them zillennials, just of... Zillennials, yeah, just, I've never heard that, okay. It's, it's a lazy term, right, just okay. to combine both <laughs> at that point. But it's looking at, but even boomers and Xers are just going like, man, what have I allowed into my heart, into my soul, into my mind for years, and just how that's overflowing, and it's that question of, am I okay? Mm. Yeah, so they're chasing something, obviously. They're, people are going after, they want attention, they want... Uh, response, uh, you know, they want something to make them feel good, to feel I'm okay. Um, and uh, how are they doing that? I mean, are they, you mentioned before that um, they're trying to create narratives. They're, they can control the narrative. Is that true? Well, so you look at, with social media, it's one of the tools that's, right, it's given to all of us where we can control how we are perceived. And there's that tension because it's like what happens when the me that I portray is more affirmed and accepted than the real me that's offline. Mm. The real me that once I put my phone down or I log off that account or I stop or with that text message conversation, what happens when I'm left with who I really am and the thoughts, the fears, the insecurities. And one of the things, uh, my wife, she had a great comment. Mm. Uh, we had a panel at our uh, Spring Lake Park Youth Service this last Wednesday because there's this fear of like, well, I, I don't know if I can be transparent. Mm. I don't know like what happens if they really know where I'm at. And it kind of speaks to this human condition of this fear of if I'm transparent and I share like, hey, this is where I'm struggling, this is where I'm wrestling, will anybody be able to see me that, of being able to be strong again? Mm. Or are they always going to see me as that's that person that can't get over this past heartbreak or mm. can't get through this situation or can't overcome this obstacle? Will anybody see me as strong ever again? So it's like, well, I need to put on this persona, I need to portray, I need mm. to control the grid, I need to control what's, what, what's being seen so that the me that others see, that it's, it's strong, or once again, I can control that narrative. Wow. When I think about all of those dynamics and the tools and the metrics that they're using, well, did, uh, did I get a like? Did, uh, did anybody respond? Um, even the sense they needed immediately. Um, you know, I've been in meetings where um, someone's, people have texted me, and I'm in a three-hour meeting, so I don't respond to anything until three hours is up, and then there's like 15 other texts sentence. after, where are you? You're not responding to me. Don't you care about, you know, and it's like they want an immediate response in order to feel good in that moment, and, uh, and I've noticed, I'm like, should I feel bad that I didn't? You know, I was with other people, and so the rules of engagement are different, too, and I guess they're different for teenagers in this hour where um, they're on Snapchat, they're on Instagram or whatever. There's some rules to that um, that aren't always the same for everybody. Yep. It's so true. And I love how you just even address that because, like, you can't, like, I know there's people in the room watching online. It's you get the notification that the message has been seen, mm. but there's no response. Mm. And you start creating this, like, story in your head. You're going, well, why haven't they responded yet? What, what else are they doing? Are they mad at me? Did I ask it in the wrong way? Mm. Should I have included a different context? Should I? And there's all these things that we begin to create a false narrative, mm. and it gets us in a certain headspace. And so, but just as you were saying, that communication part is, it's so, it's so important. But I think it also comes back to you, and I know you're going to get into this with today's mm -hmm. message. It, it's preying on that insecurity, mm. and, but that's also exposing our lack of depth and commitment to the word of God mm. because we're trying to find this identity 
and this security and all these things that, that disappear, mm -hmm. right? But it's, it's exposing, like, man, I need to get back in the word of God. What, who does God say I am? Mm. Because one of the things we've seen is that if we don't believe God is who he says he is, that we are who he says we are, and that his best is for our best, that all this other stuff, like, uh, it, it just begins to try to clamor for that control. But once we have those identity pieces, those security pieces, it's amazing what deflects, mm. right? It's amazing what doesn't stick mm. that otherwise would mm. uh, within the communication side. Wow, so you can see why I pick his brain all the time about the next generation. And in a few weeks, you're going to get to preach a whole message here in this series. So I'm looking forward to it. Would you give it up for Pastor Phil for sharing today? I think we got the best youth pastors at each of our locations in the whole world. I'm really proud of them and thankful for all the volunteer youth leaders and staff that are also involved working the next generation. Feeling okay is being heard and understood and feeling safe. I think when people don't feel safe or something is wrong, it puts us in a different emotional state of being. Sometimes we're anxious or we're uh, nervous acting or perhaps we act out with anger towards others, all because we feel insecure. And you might think, where did that all start? Is that just a certain type of person? Am I the only one? that feels this way? No, no, really, it begins at the beginning of humanity. And I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis. It's the very first book in the Bible. And of course, there's the story of creation, and uh, God created everything. He created the earth, he created the birds, he created the animals, he created everything that we see, and then he created the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And he told the man and the woman that they could do anything they want, but they couldn't eat from a certain tree. And there's a story, of course, about how the serpent, which represents Satan, and Satan would come and whispers, if you will, a, a contrary edict to Adam and Eve. And he essentially says, he says, well, did God really mean it? Did he really say this, that you shouldn't eat from it? You're missing out on something. Because before this moment, they're very secure. But then something happens, and they believe the lie and I want you to see what ends up happening here in Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, this is a moment where it's the first sin, the first decision to disobey God. Any sin is disobedience. It's disobeying God's instructions. You know, God has our best interests in mind. So when we go a different way, that's called sin. And when Adam and Eve sinned, something changed. You see, before they had sinned, there was no shame. There was absolutely no shame in their life. And shame is insecurity or the loss of security that leaves us feeling vulnerable. Anybody here ever felt vulnerable? And that other voice, the serpent, had talked Adam and Eve into chasing 
what they already had. It immediately leads to a tension between them and God. They actually hid from God. And then they hid from each other. And then later on, Adam would actually blame his wife. So it leads to relational problems outside of the relationship with God. Sin destroys our relationship with God, and it destroys our relationship with other people. And the nakedness that we see here and here, it said, I was naked. I was afraid because I was naked. They ran and they hid and tried to cover up and separate themselves from God. Before sin, they had no worries. They were totally secure, secure in their relationship, secure in every part of their life. But then when sin entered the picture, now all of a sudden they're hiding from God. And God goes walking through the garden looking for them. And this is good news, by the way, because even when we sin, God doesn't turn his back on us. He still comes our way. So he goes looking for Adam and Eve. And he calls out to them, where are you? And he knows where they're at. How many know God knew where they were at? What he was waiting for was for them to recognize it and say, here I am. And that is the journey that all of us are on when it comes to insecurity. Moving from covering up with other things towards looking to God and answering his, his call of where are you by saying, I'm here. I felt this growing up, this insecurity. I remember at different stages of my life, but I remember especially when I was in middle school. And uh, I, my body was changing and hormones were going crazy. And there's crazy things that happen in your mind. Like I'm not like everybody else. We had moved school districts. And so I didn't grow up with everybody else. And they already had their cliques and their groups of friends. And some of you have felt that when you go to church sometimes. It seems like everybody already knows each other. And you can feel awkward and insecure about that. And, uh, and for me, I had to learn to lean in to the insecurity instead of pushing it away or covering it up. And what insecurity does then to your relationships is beyond just you, it affects the relationship. Let me give you just a few things. One of the things it does, it, it, it triggers the fight or flight part of you. Uh, how many have ever had a friend, let's just talking to a friend here kind of thing. How many have ever had a friend that they have trust issues? Okay, um, and perhaps you have trust issues. It's probably based on a previous experience of your life where somebody had uh, rejected you or done something to you and you felt really bad about that. And so now you face future relationships and somehow you're triggered in that relationship to fight or flight, to leave them or to cut it off preemptively. Insecurity will do that in a relationship. Insecurity will also produce loneliness. The former Surgeon General of the United States said this, loneliness is the state of distress or discomfort that results when one perceives a gap between one's desire for social connection and actual experiences of it. Even some people who are surrounded by others throughout the day or in a long-lasting marriage still experience a deep and pervasive loneliness. I, it's amazing to me how you could be in the middle of a crowd and still feel lonely. And it has to do with the gap between what you think it should be and where you are. In, in, in other cases, we watch other people and perceive what they have and feel like we don't have it. And so we're alone in our experience. Insecurity can also produce anger 
because we have a performance expectation on others. When they let us down, anger can explode. You know where this is especially dangerous? When you're parenting. When you expect your kids to live up to something and they don't, if anger, improper anger comes out, then it actually destroys your relationship between you and your child. That's why there's a righteous anger and an unrighteous anger in the Bible it talks about. So for us, those insecurities can produce that. And I think of the greatest dangers that insecurity can produce amongst the next generation and this generation is they think they can, as Pastor Phil said, create their own narrative, that they can show the world what they are. But listen, there is only one creator. God created us. God created you. And if you try to create another you outside of the one that he created you to be, that's a gap that creates something. Even when you chase other things to try to make you feel better, present a different you to the world around you, inside of you it doesn't change. Even if you now in this generation you get to, to declare what you are with your identities on so many different ways on social media and in life, even if you do that, it can feel good for a moment because everybody knows but then there's the empty, lonely feeling after that because it didn't really cover up or it didn't really meet the need of your insecurity. You're still feeling unsafe. You're still feeling like you've lost something. And so the, the, the purity of what you are and what you do can be affected. And let me, let, me tell, let me take this one step further. Parents, how many of you are parents in here, or grandparents? Um, and, and how many hope to be parents at some point? Okay, there, let me fill in the gap, gaps if, if I can. Here's the danger. If we don't deal with our insecurities in our own life, then it affects the environment that our children grow up in. So if we don't deal with, and some of us have gone through difficult experiences. Perhaps you had a, a parent that just did not love you unconditionally. Perhaps you had experiences that just weren't really good. You didn't have a good model of what it means to be a parent. If you don't deal, and you know it, because it explodes out of you once in a while and you're like, I felt so bad when I did this or when I yelled at my kid or I did this to my spouse. Those things come up. If you don't take those things to the Lord, then they become the experience your kids will give their kids someday. But if in the middle of it, and this is why I'm talking to imperfect people, there are no perfect people in this church, right? But if you can take those things that you're trying to cover up, that shame, that insecurity, that thing you don't want anybody to see or know about, if you can take that and open it up to the Lord, now you can provide a different experience for your children. Anger and selfishness and pride can instead be changed over. Instead of transactional love, it becomes unconditional love. In this series, Are We Okay?, we're going to discover how to meet each other's needs, both men and women, to develop healthy boundaries. We're going to talk about conflict. Anybody get in a fight lately? Um, in coming weeks, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about establishing relationship goals. But first, everybody said, but first, before we talk about improving relationships with people, I want to start with you. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about yourself? I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 12. And there's an interesting passage here that perhaps you've read before. But Jesus is speaking and he says this. He says, the most important commandment is this. 
Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus says you are to love the Lord your God basically with everything. Your emotions, your thoughts, your physical well-being, anything that you own, love God. And many people, that's our, our journey. We want to love God. But Jesus throws in there, equally is important. You know what the word equal means? It means equal. Equally important is loving your neighbor as yourself. So I can be loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the proof of it is whether or not I love the people around me, the neighbor around me. In my own life, uh, over time, Jody and I have, uh, she's been so patient with me because I have varying amounts of discipline to my eating habits. And so I'll gain weight and lose weight. I'll gain weight and lose weight. I'm like an accordion sometimes. It can go big and it can go small. And, uh, and when I'm in the, the, the time of my life when I want to do the right thing, I'll eat as few amount of calories as I can or eat the right kind of foods. But sometimes I'll go over it. I'll sneak something or I'll eat a little bit more than I really should. And then I'll go to my bathroom and there's this little lie detector called a scale in my bathroom. And I'll step on the scale and if it says the wrong thing, I can go, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And it still will tell the truth, okay? So for Jesus, he's saying the scale that we step on for whether or not we love God is how we love other people. This is really what he's saying. Now, I want you to consider something that as he's saying that, I want you to look at what he said. He said in that verse, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, we don't have the capacity to love others unless we first love ourselves, or at least we recognize that we are loved. So he's not talking about becoming a narcissist or an egocentric person. He's talking about the fact that we are loved greatly by God. Our ability to love begins with how we are loved. If I'm loved, I have the capacity to love others. Say that out loud with me. If I'm loved, I have the capacity to love others. You know, this is how we train little kids. Babies come into a home. God meant it for them to be nurtured and cared for by parents, okay? And thank God there's other people that step in. I'm so thankful for foster care parents and people that jump in in our church that are touching and loving our community around us. But the, the, the environment of love creates a sense of security in the child. And when we are loved by our Father in heaven, we can love others. When we are forgiven by our Father in heaven, we can forgive others. The capacity to love comes directly from the love that we receive. Fundamentally, you are chosen by God. He loves you even after you sinned. So it's not that you're perfect or there's groups of people that he loves more than anybody else. In fact, Jesus loves you even after you've done the wrong thing. A great story of that is found in John chapter 4. In fact, in John chapter 4, Jesus goes on a journey, and the scripture says that he had to go through Samaria, which is kind of an intentional statement. 
Because in actuality, there was a road that went around Samaria that Jews would travel. They wouldn't walk through Samaria. Samaria was like an ethnic group that they wouldn't touch. There was a racial difference. There was tension there. And Jesus said, I'm going in. I'm so thankful I serve a Savior that's not afraid of touching and loving people from every nation and culture. Amen? That's how Jesus was. And not only that, he walks into town at a time of day in which people were not in the public square to get a drink of water. His disciples had left to go get some food. And Jesus intentionally intersects the life of a woman who, who had gone to this well at a time when nobody else could go. She was alone. In fact, she was ostracized by the rest of the city. This is the only time that she could go. And you're going to see in this story that Jesus intersects her story because he cares about her after she had made mistakes. She was loved even though she did some wrong things. And that's the kind of love of God that we're talking about. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. This is an interesting moment because, listen, this woman had covered up her insecurity. She had one failed marriage and she jumped into another. She had another failed marriage and jumped into another. Not all of those marriages were her fault, potentially. Something might have happened in that culture and she was cast aside. She had gone through five and then she had it with marriage, apparently. Because now she's just living with somebody because she couldn't trust and something bad would happen. She was covering up her shame, her nakedness, with other things. And now she's going to the well for temporary daily water, just enough to survive. She's in her loneliness. She's in her shame, if you will. And Jesus steps in and he says, essentially, listen, I know you've been trying to cover up all of this emptiness on the inside with other things. But I want you to know I've got water that will be living within you. And it won't run out. And when my living water comes, it pushes all the junk out. And it re replaces it with the purity of heaven. It will give you life. It's life-giving. I have something from you, for you that you can't get from any other place. And I want you to hear me today. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what somebody has done to you, no matter what the pandemic has been like for you, no, no matter what kind of things you fell into during the pandemic, there are people that have fallen into drugs and alcohol, gone back into it to numb the pain. Some people have fallen into pornography to numb the pain. Some people have pulled away and they're in deep depression and won't talk to anybody else because they're trying to numb the pain. You are just like the woman at the well that Jesus met. And you can hear from Jesus just what she heard. 
She heard, I have living water for you. There is hope for you. There is love for you. There is warmth for you. It would be as if outside in the middle of this Minnesota day, in the middle of the cold, I have a coat for you. I will warm you up in the middle of your cold, cold season. You have life in your future if you listen to me. Can I get an amen to that? See, Jesus... Jesus helps us with our relationships if we follow him. And here's the key. Before you try to fix your husband or point the finger at your boss or tell people to change, start with you following Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You want the Father's love, you got to follow Jesus. If you want a different experience in your future than what you've experienced recently, you got to follow Jesus. And the fact is that Jesus loves you. This is the gospel. Jesus walked right into a world full of conflict, anger between people, between classes and ethnic groups. He navigated between political and socioeconomic differences. He had conversations with women and men and thieves and business leaders, blue-collar workers and the military. He literally is the way for anyone and everyone. He is the kind of love that we all need in order to fix the relationships around us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from where? From God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. That's the kind of love that pushes in. Many people can recite all the ways that they've been hurt, damaged, or put down. You might have a list of all the people who have abandoned you or hurt you. How do you get out of that? Controlling your future? Jesus is your way out. Do you have a record of all your own personal mistakes or reasons why no one should love you? Do you feel like it's your fault? Then Jesus is your way. Do you feel alone as if no one cares about you? Then Jesus is your way. And you are loved and Jesus can show you the way. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is your way. Jesus is your way. You are loved, and Jesus will show you the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about love, and many of us have heard this particular passage before. But you could put, Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Jesus does not demand its own way. You see what I'm saying? It's not just love, because God is love. Jesus does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins up. Jesus never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. He's patient and kind with you. He'll never give up on you, never lose faith in you. He's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. The first step to resolving your are we okays in life is talking to the Creator. Not hiding from him, but talking to him. 
not covering up our nakedness, our insecurities, but opening up to him. And just as God walked through the garden in Genesis after Adam and Eve had sinned and asked the question, where are you? He sang it to you and I today. God already knew where they were. He was waiting for them to say, here I am. The connection with God requires opening our heart to him and allowing him to heal and prepare us to love others. I wanna give you some hope in this because every one of us are going through our own challenges with that. Every fight that I have, every misunderstanding that I have really begins with me being insecure. For whatever reason, there's things that I get irritated at. Why is that? Because I'm in a hurry. I'm, I'm trying to be somewhere. I'm trying to be something. But if I can slow down and allow my own insecurity and go, Lord, I'm sorry. Why did I just snap at my wife? Why did I just speak rudely to somebody in line? Why am I really angry while I'm driving? Hello. All of those things are opportunities to open up and say, Father, I don't know where it all began. It probably began back in the garden for me too. But I don't want that to be the story for my future. And I know there's hope in this, even for parents. You see, I know that my grandfather, my grandpa Roosh, my dad's dad, grew up in a home, a single parent home, and didn't have a lot of, of good guidance from male figures in his life. There was no man in the home. There was no godly person in the home. And there was a lot of moving around. And that developed in my grandfather an anger, kind of a party animal uh, person. By the time he was in high school, he was chasing things and got in fights. And he was really searching for something out there for his insecurity in here. And then the day came when my grandpa met Jesus, or Jesus met my grandpa. And my grandpa got saved. And he got, like I like to say, there's a difference between getting saved and getting saved saved. He got radically saved. And he began to follow Jesus. But as he began to follow Jesus, and of course he met my grandma, and, and then had the kids, and my grandpa was in World War II, and, and uh, then he became a pastor later on in smaller churches. Even during all of those years, some of the insecurities of his youth, the things he wasn't taught, exposed themselves as an adult. He didn't want to listen to anybody in authority over him because he had an insecurity and a lack of trust in leaders. And so he had other things going on in him. And of course, my dad grew up seeing my grandpa, and my dad inherited some of the good and some of the bad from my grandpa. Some of the things from the military about how to discipline the child. That's how my dad then would discipline me later on. But here's what I want you to know. My grandpa's ceiling of growth and the love of God in his life was the floor for my dad. Then my dad, as he was growing and he began to follow Jesus, some of the things that were bad and historic and passed on generationally to him, now my dad had to go on his own journey of opening up his life. He's a Christian, but he had to open up his heart and allow God into the insecure parts of his body and his mind and his life and his heart and his emotions. And as he did that, I watched my dad as I grew up change while I grew up. My dad didn't stop growing when I was a little kid. He continues to grow to this day. And because my dad dropped his guard, I remember the day my, I was 13 years old, and my dad came home from a retreat. And as he came into the, 
the house, he, he took me into my bedroom and he sat down and he had tears running out of his face and he repented to me as a 13-year-old kid for how he had treated me when I was younger. I had great love for my dad as he shared that with me and I realized that be, because he was repenting, he was breaking the chains of iniquity from the generation ahead of him that I would not have to inherit. And because my dad did that, now I became a, a, a husband of, and a father later on. And I have my own kids. And guess what? I still got the junk coming up. But my dad gave me the pathway of how to take those insecurities to the Lord, those frustrations, those mistakes, those sins to the Lord. And hopefully my, my ceiling becomes my kids' floor. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hopefully, it's not just about me, it's about everybody else around me. And if I can learn to follow Jesus and know that I'm loved, I can stare down my insecurities knowing that God can change me. And as he changes me, he will help me love others. Can I get an amen to that? Church, I'm telling you, there's hope when we follow Jesus this way. Would you stand with me today? Every single week, it's, a, it's an absolute honor that anybody would come to church or join online. It's an honor for me because I'm like, why would anybody want to listen to me speak? Well, you're like, well, that's not why I come, Pastor Nate. I love, I love the worship at the church. I put up with your preaching. Whatever it is. What I'm trying to tell you is even pastors have insecurities. But I need Jesus more today than I did yesterday. I need his love to fill my heart so I can love others more. My insecurities won't stop what God wants to do through me. It's Jesus. I need Jesus, and so do you. Every one of us need him. In a few moments, we're going to worship, and I'm going to ask you when we worship to not check out, to take a moment to just go, yes, Lord, see into me. See into me. Take that insecurity instead of covering up, saying, here I am, Lord, and allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. But I also want to give an opportunity for those that perhaps you don't have a relationship with God. You've never started a relationship with the Lord. You can know Jesus today, and I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. In fact, if you pray and you turn to God and believe that Jesus was alive and he lived on the earth and he lived a sinless life and he died on a cross for our sin and rose from the dead, and you pray it out loud, then the Bible says you can be saved. You can start a new relationship with Jesus right now. Or maybe you've walked away from the Lord. You can come back to him. No matter what stupid things you've been doing, you can come back to Jesus, just like the woman at the well, and he's interested in your story right now. And I want to pray with you. Would you just close your eyes wherever you are, just for a moment. If you're here or you're listening to me right now, and you need to give your life to Jesus, or you need to come back to him because you've walked away, I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to give you words to pray, but you say, Pastor Nate, that's me. I need to come back to the Lord. I, I need to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Just put your hand up right wherever you're at. Just say, that's me, Pastor Nate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Several of you, yeah, yeah. I want to lead you in this prayer, and I'll give you words to pray, and you can pre pray it out loud after me. Just repeat after me, and everybody else, you can join right in and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, you died on the cross for my sin, and then you rose from the dead, and you're alive. Today, I surrender to you. 
I receive your love and I choose to follow you. You are my way. And I ask, Lord, that you would help me to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. I love that moment when we clap because listen, all of heaven has a party when one person comes back. One. And I just want you to know you're really, really important. And you are valuable in the sight of God and you're valuable to me. I want you to stay on that journey. I want you to keep following Jesus, not covering up, but opening up to God instead. And taking steps of following Jesus means that you gotta make a choice beyond this morning to keep following him. If you could take your phone out and you just pray that prayer and you could text the word Emmanuel to 313131, I'll give you a quick link on your next steps of following Jesus. I want you to keep following him. So if you just text Emmanuel to 313131 and I'll send you a quick link on your next steps of following him. One more time, would you give it up for those that just gave their life to Jesus? Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.